Hi, this is Mark Iskowitz, and welcome to the MMM Podcast for the week of September 20th, 2021. Prior to the pandemic, the farm industry had been on a years-long evolution to digital marketing. Several trends were driving that transition, from reduced access to physicians to the outmoded nature of the in-person selling model, which is expensive and can be intrusive for doctors. Physicians also had expressed a desire for access to medical content on demand, but pharma had still largely been relying on the old push model. Along came the pandemic and accelerated their plans almost overnight. This has been good for marketers, but in an industry as big as pharma, old habits die hard. 80% of doctors do want to interact with pharma virtually, but only 20% do. This week on the podcast, what pharma needs to do today to remain engaged with physicians. And here to talk about it are Ipsen Pharma's Paul Mirasco, head of digital customer interaction for North America, and Dr. Hosama Hashmi, co-founder and CTO of the company Empiricus, to share database suggestions for the kind of HCP engagement industry should move toward in the post-pandemic landscape. Osama and Paul, welcome to the MMM podcast. Hello, Mark. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. We'll get back to the interview in a moment for some housekeeping items. Join us live or in person the evening of October 7th, the choice is yours, for the venerable MMM Awards Ceremony taking place downtown at our traditional venue, Cipriani Wall Street. We have an amazing evening in store, and you can register for that one online at mmm-awards.com. Okay, let's get back to the interview with Osama and Paul. Dr. Hashmi, let's just start with you for a moment. Um, talk about your, you know, your clinical background and, and uh, how you came to start Empiricus and you know, what's changing you know, from, the, from the physician's perspective in terms of uh, engaging co- with content. Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm in dermatology. So obviously we have a very busy clinic schedule. A lot of derm is very simple. Sometimes, you know, just some topical over-the-counter treatments. But in dermatology, we also work a lot with branded medicines. We work a lot with biologics. Um, And it's usually for those patients where there's a little bit more interaction that's needed. The interesting thing is, you know, there's over 20,000 FDA approved drugs. Now in dermatology, we don't use them all, but we use a large number. But for each of these drugs, it's kind of its own website, its own hub, its own field rep that I have to talk to. And so just in a normal clinic day, if we're using different drugs, trying to learn about different drugs, trying to utilize patient assistance programs, things get really complicated, really fast. In fact, kind of what I've seen in my practice, as well as in uh, many other practices across the country, there has been more and more support staff that is being hired, dedicated just for this type of interaction, just to talk about how are we going to help our patients access their medicines? How do we coordinate within the pharma industry and with these programs? And there's literally people who we hire either in formal terms, like the biologic coordinators or informal terms of 20% of my MA's time is going to be dedicated to this. Um, And really the goal for Empiricus was just simplifying that process, making it easier for physicians to engage with pharma, both for them and their staff. But then on the flip side, allowing it, uh, allowing a better interface for pharma to interact with physicians, one that allows more cohesiveness and more kind of real-time feedback on what's going on. Paul, from your perspective, tell us what's evolving uh, from the pharma marketers uh, angle. Yeah, as you mentioned, Mark, COVID has been a tremendous digital accelerator. And I think we're now on the cuspus of what does the new norm look like? You know, we were forced to really engage digitally and virtually because there was no face-to-face contact. And what we are now seeing is there's, you know, a, a group of physicians and it's a growing group that wants that on-demand model. And they also want, I, I will 
firmly always say the rep interaction is not going to go away. There are always going to be a place for that face-to-face and no one should throw that out of the plan, but how they engage, when they engage and by what channel, be it live or a video call or email has to all be put into the equation. And I do believe pharma is adapting. However, we have to adapt correctly because I also think now 18 months into this new norm or getting to this new norm, I think there's getting to be burnout, burnout from a physician standpoint, burnout from um, industry standpoint, corporate standpoint, and we have to find what that right mix is moving forward. Well, obviously, the, the issue of burnout is is, is a, an important one uh, from the clinical side, as well as uh, in many people working at, in the, on the business side as well. But how much do you think that the access issue has contributed to the inability or the difficulty or the challenge of, of marketers in, in reaching doctors? Is, is it the institutional access or is it the disconnect in terms of physicians' preferences for interacting and the industry's ability to kind of interact with them in, in that preferred mode? I think it's both. I do believe the uh, increase of inaccessibility to physicians, driven by more and more physicians becoming more of a group practice or ins- part of an institution, institution blocking barrier, that has happened and that's been in place before COVID. Actually, a CS study earlier this year took a look at that trend and they looked at the percentage of physicians across multiple specialties that are, quote, inaccessible. And back in 2012, they stated that it was about 30%. In 2019, prior to COVID, it was at 49%. And we knew that. That's what was driving all the innovation prior to COVID. Well, the study went further and forecasted that by 2025, that number could be as high as 78%. Even if you want to discount that, you know, you're talking about a 19% change in seven years and then almost a doubling in the next seven. So divide that double, you're still talking tremendous amount of inaccessibility. So that's definitely a factor, um, I believe. The second part, though, is even if physicians are accessible, I believe they realize that they don't physically need to see someone on a day-to-day basis. Even if they're, quote, old school, they realize that, you know, there's different ways to gather the information they need. And with the next generation of physicians coming out, I think it's just going to be naturally more comfortable with, hey, I'll see you when I need to see you. But otherwise, just, you know, let me know what the links are and I'll get the information. Because at the end of the day, the role of pharma should always be educating the physician so that they can give the best quality of care to the patients. We're all about the patients. So if that's the core of what you're trying to do, it should be, let's do that in the best vehicle or channel that that customer, that physician wants. You know, by 2025, 
75% of specialists in the U.S. will be millennials. And so their kind of preferences are driving this as well. As, as you mentioned, it's, it's a generational thing as well. So the industry is really heading toward an iceberg, so to speak, not to be overly dramatic about it. But it's, you know, this, there's some real factors here that are compelling the industry to, to really change and get more toward that pull model rather than the push model. So let's talk about what engagement should look like. I, I did want to bring up one point and, and kind of really emphasizing what Paul said uh, near the end, which is how, you know, the, the goal of pharma is about collaborating for patients and definitely can see that data and that iceberg coming up in terms of decreasing access. But I think there's also a really important trend that is a really great opportunity for really good pharma companies to take advantage of, which is a new way to partner for patients. So Traditionally, you know, I'm, I'm a younger physician. In med school, the lectures we hear is all about big, bad pharma, X, Y, and Z, right? And that's kind of what, unfortunately, the, the attitude sometimes has been towards pharma over the past 10, 20 years. Now, what's happening over the past five years is there's becoming more and more access issues, especially when it comes to insurance programs, um, when it comes to patient assistance, when it comes to education, when it comes to, you know, prior authorizations, and this is an opportunity where pharma can now step up and be kind of the savior and hero in, in practice. And this has happened so many times within the practice that I'm with, within uh, you know other practices that I know of, where it's really the pharma rep or maybe you know the MSL who's providing some key information and, and key pairing. So as much as we're talking about you know about a hit an iceberg, there's also a tremendous opportunity about a kind of a frame shift in how pharma and physicians can potentially get back to this partnership that I think was ideally the goal all, all along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would agree, Osama. The iceberg, when Mark mentioned the iceberg, first thing I thought of was the Titanic. And I, I tell you, I, I have not spent my life in pharma for almost 30 years to be Leonardo DiCaprio on the top of the Titanic as it's going down. I just don't see that as a visual. So I, I believe we're making strides. I just think as a whole, every company has to start really being open to listening and realizing that if we have a common goal, it should be how's the best way to do that? Because let's be honest, if we all are start, start changing and go to that best way, it becomes table stakes. And that is what I've seen is required whenever we make any change. And I do believe we'll get there and avoid the iceberg, so to speak. Yes. Thank you for uh, indulging me on the analogy there. I admit it was a little bit, a little hyperbolic there. Now you can't get rid of me and Leonardo will be like. Yeah. Now we got Leonardo and and, uh, Kate Kate Winslet, right? But um, the engagement model and, and, and what it should look like. Osama, tell us a little bit about the Empiricus model, because that's one of the new models, you know, the digital concierge model, which, which we've heard about a little bit. Tell, tell us about how that works. To simplify it, it's really just simplifying and bringing out those high points of value for physicians. So our mission has been, how can we provide value for physicians, enabling connections with pharma in a way that provides uh, tremendous value for patients and improves patient care? And there's, so there's certain things that we highlight, certain things that we bring out, certain things that we make easier. And there's also certain things that we intentionally kind of leave out and we decide, you know, we're not going to kind of facilitate. 
So for example, one of the first applications of concierge has been around patient assistance programs. Pharma companies everywhere and every brand has invested a lot in terms of making sure patients have access to medicines because they know it's a great bridge to introducing a physician to a new medicine or a great bridge to introducing a patient to a medicine that they can then be on for, for a longer period of time. Um, and so for us, it's a simple matter of using some AI technology, making a way better interface when it comes to the physicians in terms of access, and then plugging into these hubs and plugging into these resources of our partners. On the flip side for the physicians, we make it very clear that we're very medicine agnostic. So for our partners, of course, they get better data, better interfaces, but for any medicine, we, we allow physicians to work through. Now, I talked about you know, some of the things that we do do and we do highlight the things that we don't highlight, we're not you know, giving out pens, we're not providing free lunches for doctors. We think that for most physicians, they understand the value of pharma and that reestablishment, kind of that healthy relationship is what we're going for. Obviously, there will be a group of doctors out there that, that want to you know, get the lunches and that's all they want. But what we see with our you know, rapidly growing network of physicians is there's even more physicians who actually want to partner with pharma and have a healthy relationship with them. Sure. And can you tell us uh, how many users you have right now? So it's growing fairly rapidly. We're in the thousands of, of physicians who are actively using uh, the system. We have almost 90% of physicians in our global network. So they may not be you know, using the SMS interface. They may not be using the web interface. They may be involved in some other way uh, that we're providing services to them. So it's been a tremendous expansion over the past year, very much focused in dermatology and oncology. But like I said, we have you know, physicians from all over uh, using the system. And I think once again, it's, it's a message that resonates. If you think about it, and I, I think COVID really accelerated this resonation, because if you think about it before COVID, how many of us, you know, used Uber Eats or Grubhub or Postmates? And now it's almost every American's, you know, weekly menu, at least one Grubhub or, or Postmates or Uber Eats. And I think that acceleration happened just in terms of who we are as a population in America. And it also happened with physicians. And so we consider ourselves just a better digital interface to access the, the wonderful kind of resources that the pharma can provide for patients. Nice to hear that pharma and physician community are reestablishing that, that kind of healthy relationship. Paul, to the extent that you feel comfortable sharing, you know, your experience with models like this or any other kind of models that uh, you've, you felt have been or are worth a look. Yeah. Um, I, I've heard of Empiricus looked at the, the data and I believe there could be something to that because that gets you to that on-demand model. And it definitely could be a value depending on the size of your company. I go back to the old adage, you know, why build when you can use? And, you know, it's like building a community with patience. You know, it takes a lot of time and energy, resources to build. Well, same with technology. If you can use a platform that exists, and if Empiricus gets the sign-up of the amount of physicians in the specialty that you're working in, I, I think it could be a great avenue. I also think, um, and it's not so much a platform so much, but that hybrid model, you know, I think a lot of companies now are evolving to, you know, where you have different skill sets for the field is going to be critical. And then... I believe we're going to have to make sure we start evolving and I'm not saying lax by any means, the MLR process, but we have to allow for, you know, easier two-way communication. The whole idea of using a SMS platform for communication of physicians, 
that's being used very infrequently. I think there's a value there. There's tools within Viva that allow, you know, the the field, be it the MSLs, if they're in the Viva in a separate area or the actual Salesforce, because you got to keep them separate, as we all know. But through my Viva and different tools they have, we can really um, start looking at data and providing a meaningful engagement. You know, and if we can make that not just a push, as you mentioned earlier, Mark, but a pull so that it's in a location, because it shouldn't be about bringing the physician to, quote, your website or, you know, your HCP portal or your patient um, advocacy or support group. It should be about getting them the information. And in today's world, information should be readily available, readily known, and one click to activate. And any tool that allows that to happen, you know, once again, I think another tool is every every company and pharma really needs to understand better and use EHRs in a active way, um, not to promote, but to educate to allow when you're doing whatever your transactions in HR, within one click, you know what it is. It's easily available and you can start closing the loop. There, that's where this is going. And that's what I foresee as an on-demand at your fingertips type of model. Can you give a real life example of that you know, model that evolves to encompass both the field and digital in action? Yeah, well, I think a number of um, companies, Ipsen being one of them, we're, we're evolving a hybrid model. We have both, you know, a field, a traditional sales force that is changing its ways of engagement. That is a hybrid approach, both virtual and face-to-face. We're giving, and in any of this, a key, I don't think it's technology always. It's the training. You got to make sure you train. Because how we do a video call is different than what you, how you interact with someone if you're in the same room with them. So that training has to happen. The tools, the content has to be developed accordingly, and the skill sets have to evolve. And then there's a need to look at if you have an inside sales force or if you need an inside sales force, not to replace the reps, but to maybe really focus on certain geographic areas. I think that's a good example. On the EHR side, I I think you need to, as I mentioned, and there's a number of successes. I've had some success in different specialties where you get those instructions to the office manager or the the health IT person in, in an institution to help with not only simple things like adding it to the favorites and all that, but making sure that you can look at patient personal lists and say, hey, based on these maybe lab factors and some other things, this person might need X. Particularly important when you look at second-line treatments. Particularly important when you're looking at chronic conditions that might worsen over time. We need to use technology and provide those tools to the physicians easily and also make sure they know how to use them 
so that while they're engaging with that patient at that point of care, it's really meaningful exchange because you want to get that patient the, the best meds and the best outcome they can. So access continues to decline. You know, preferences among doctors are shifting. You know, uh, very few of them want to go back to the old push-only model. Most of them want more of these on-demand types of, of options. Osama, you know, from the from your perspective, you know, this idea of the one-stop shop. Can you talk about, you know, the future of that solution? You know, is is that, you know, really where this is driving toward, you know, that concierge model to to reduce the friction, if you will, of doctors getting the information that they need? Um, and, you know, what are kind of the, some of the challenges to, from your point of view, of, uh, of, of getting, you know, decreasing the reliance on the push model and getting really toward that pull model? In the beginning, I think it, it starts with data. Some physicians will love, you know, the face-to-face interaction only, and some physicians will only want a digital interaction. And so even that simple dichotomy can help define, you know, what kind of tools would work for that physician. And obviously between those two areas, there's a bunch of physicians in the gray who would like some, some kind of hybrid approach. So the first is understanding data, understanding, you know, who are the physicians that are going to benefit from learning about your medicine, using your medicine, trying your medicine, that data is really important. And second, it's just, you know, it's a very simple process, which is how do we then make that less friction? How do we make it so that it is easier for our physician to understand what is available to them, easier for them to fill out that form, easier for them, for their office staff staff to know, okay, what's a new indication? And so for a physician who loves face-to-face, it may be, you know, this type of interaction before a physician who loves digital and maybe an active member on Empiricus and maybe through, through Empiricus. And so I think it's all about having data and having the right arsenal of tools. The one thing you don't want to do is, is treat everything like a nail just because you have a hammer, just because you have an amazing sales force, um, an amazing you know rep team. That doesn't mean that every physician is going to resonate with that. And you may be you know, leaving a lot of opportunity on the table if you're not having a, you know, a well-diversified toolkit to help address certain physicians that, that may be useful. So I think it first starts with data, first understanding what types of, you know, screws and nails you have and what types of tools then can you apply to those, to those physicians to, to help things move forward. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more that one size doesn't fit all. Um, and, you know, I know, depending on who's listening, they've heard me say this um, before, prior to COVID, and particularly as I do these talks um, during COVID, we all have to remember NPP stands for the new personal promotion. What was traditionally thought of as a surround sound now has to be critical to everyone's marketing plan. Because with data, and the ability to mine data and garner insights, you can get as personal of an engagement as it is walking into face-to-face. And we have to remember, we have to be personalized. We have to get to the lowest degree of personalization and know what their likes are. You know, what's, what's the affinity of your HCP? And, and there's ability to do that. We just have to mine that data accordingly. And I'll throw out another study, which kind of reinforces that this this is heading down this path, not because we want it as pharma or just because the physician wants it. It, It's the general trend. There was an IQVIA study done, I think it was earlier 
um, Q2. In it, they were talking about, you know, where does sales and HCP engagement lead? At that time, 80% of the physicians that were polled, and I think it was a rather large N, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they basically said, 87% said, they want some sort of mix. So I'm going back to that data point. You need to find out of that 87%, which is you know, almost all, how, what is that mix and how should you engage? The one thing I thought was most intriguing from that study was that only 10% of the physicians indicated that they either wanted or believed that things would go back to the interaction that existed in early 2020. That number should have all of us be like, wow, if we are not concentrating on this new engagement, your company will be left behind. Yeah, just kind of going going after what, what Paul was saying, really important in terms of personalization. And one thing that we do with Empiricus and that's really important is for each pharma client, we take a look at what their target is, what kind of drug there are, where, where this pipeline is. And Osama, can you tell us what kind of results you've seen with the Empiricus tool? We've turned down a lot of clients just because, you know, it's not the right pipeline. It's not the right fit for the, for the, you know, physician community that, that we've built at the same time, when there is a fit, you know, we, we were able to hit over 90% open rates with our digital engagements. We're able to, you know, show new patient starts with our digital engagements. And so it's all about finding the right tool for the mix, talking to the right people, figuring out what's working with other companies. And then trying solutions that are fairly low risk, where you can, you know, test something out and see how it goes, and then scale that scale that rapidly. It's a, it's a multidisciplinary approach. It's unfortunately more scientific. I think maybe 40 years ago, getting a bunch of hiring a bunch of reps and ordering a bunch of lunches may may have been all that's involved uh, when it came to physicians. And Paul, I know I know I'm very much minusculing all the work that 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 I'm sure took took that time. But now it's it's very very dynamic. And so being evolved and and being able to work within that that dynamic environment is really important for, for the pharma company of today. Yeah. And Osama, I, I take no offense, but just remember, although I've been humbled by being thought of as a digital innovator and thought leader in the space, my roots are being a rep. So we, we reps do a whole lot more than just delivering lunches. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I, I will, I will, I will never accept that. I, but the thing is they need to realize there's ways to do those more things, do them more effectively, more efficiently. And, you know, we now have options that um, didn't exist when I carried the bag for God's sake. So, cause I'm, I'm a relic. I'm going down with the Titanic. Part. <laughs> Thank you both for talking about how this industry, you know, can balance the push and pull and move toward more of an on-demand model. I really appreciate it. Thanks again for joining us. Um, So that's it for this week's show. I want to thank Paul and Dr. Hashmi again for joining us. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Better yet, subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and help others discover the show. The MMNM podcast is produced by Deborah Stoll, Gordon Failer, and Bradley Weems. We're out every week. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. 